I'm actually Pat Hoban, and uh, I'm on the staff here. I serve in the uh, care and counseling department, and so it's my privilege to uh, facilitate our, our time here together this morning. I do want to give just a, one major instruction that would be so helpful to us. On every table is a registration form, and um, if you could make sure table leaders, or if there's not a table leader there, that at least it goes around and everybody signs it, and here's one thing I'm going to ask you all to do, fellas, and I know this is a big request. Can you write legibly? <laughs> it's amazing to me how some of those sheets come back, and it's like, okay, that's really helpful. Um, yeah, so looks like a lot of your doctors or something like that, all right? Okay, so uh, we are glad that you're here, and I know that the summer oftentimes is going to be sporadic and some of you this may be the only time that you're going to be able to be here some of you it'll be every other week or whatever <clears throat> and so please just know we're delighted to, for you to be here any tuesday morning that you can be here we're going to meet three in a row we'll skip the week of fourth of july obviously and then we'll meet three weeks after that so we'll wrap up at near the end of july and I have the privilege of uh, facilitating and teaching our discussion today, our, our teaching today. Uh, two weeks, uh, well, I'll do the first two weeks. Uh, James Madden will teach the next two weeks, <clears throat> excuse me, and then we'll have Brent Baker uh, teach the last two weeks. And so I, I feel like that uh, those guys, I feel sure, are going to knock it out of the park, and hopefully I can hold my own today. It really is, and I have to be honest, it's intimidating to follow up after Chad and Paul. Uh, I, we are so blessed, guys, and I know you all agree with that, to have the two teachers that we do that does, does the teaching for us here uh, for the last three years. And so um, it's really a privilege for me to stand here this morning. Uh, I actually got to select kind of the, the text that we were gonna look at. So hopefully it's, it's in my wheelhouse, and um, hopefully I can be able to take us uh, some places that we need to go. Let me open us in prayer, if you don't mind. Father, we greet you this morning, and we thank you for the new day. And we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And we come, Lord, with a, already an awareness of our dependency upon you <clears throat> for the very breath of life, for the ability to think and navigate and, and just, just do life. Lord, we are so dependent upon you. And I thank you that we can come, we can look at your word. I thank you that we can come and sit around the table with brothers. I thank you that we can come and avail ourselves to your Holy Spirit and to the counsel of others. And so we submit ourselves with that in mind. Lord, we come asking that you would touch, heal, transform, whatever needs to take place in our each individual hearts here today. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Some of you may know because I had a chance to give a little bit of an introduction near the end of our spring study and I told you a little bit about a group of men that I had the privilege of meeting with this past spring for 14 weeks. And I would say that of all the studies that I personally have done, I got the most out of that probably than any of the 22 guys that were in the room with me. The guys ranged in age, I think the youngest was 24, the oldest was 69. <clears throat> and these were all men who were willing to say, I've got a problem with sexual sin in my life. 
most of them would say that sexual sin manifests itself in the form of an addiction to pornography. I'm not going to go into detail, but I will tell you that part of what we talked about in there was a need for ruthless honesty, and it was really quite a privilege for me to see those men gravitate towards that level of ruthless honesty as they talked about their struggle with their sin. Now what I have to tell you is, three years ago, four coming up here this September if I'm not mistaken, we had an emphasis night in the sanctuary and there was 330, 350 men in there. We had a similar call to say, gosh, if you're struggling with sexual sin, let's come forward and let's do something about it. I was identified as the point person for people to contact for that. I had three people contact me. One was a father that was concerned about his son. Now, I have to tell you, statistically speaking, that doesn't work out. And... It's taken three years for us to put together a group where 22 men were willing to come forward. Our emphasis over the next six weeks is not just about sexual sin. I want you to hear that loud and clear. But we are going to be looking at what I would tell you is at desires that have gone awry. And that is for every single one of us in here in the room today. And I'm inviting you into what I think will be a six-week journey that I will tell you guys, I hope you have the courage to want to go to where I think the study will take us. There are many of you in here in the room today, and again, I just say from a statistical point of view, that sexual sin, the addiction to pornography, is your issue. And you'll notice down at the bottom of the sheet on the back side, I've put my contact information, and I'm just telling you, for anybody in here today, the beginning of the lesson all the way through and the end of it, I'm here. If you need to call and talk to somebody, I hope you'll take advantage of that. We want to do something about this issue, not just of sexual sin, but we want to do something that takes the brokenness in our hearts and lives and begins to bring it to the surface in such a way that we can really address it and walk with each other and allow the gospel to penetrate some of those dark places. So I had the privilege, as I said, of selecting the text for the next six weeks. And so we selected 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. There's three verses there. I hope that you'll commit these to memory. I hope you'll include them in your daily devotional um, and really allow the Word of God to kind of sink in and penetrate your heart and see what it is that He might have to say to you through these verses. I've always been intrigued by this, and so I took the liberty this morning just to kind of share something that I, I, I find interesting. If you see in verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, period. The word world there in the Greek is cosmos. John 3.16, though, tells us, For God so loved the world. Now, how is it that we're not supposed to love the world, but God does love the world? Cosmos is still the word there. And I think it opens our eyes to see an understanding here, guys, of what he's talking about, the kind of love that he has, and the kind of love that we have. We're, we're going to find out over the next six weeks is how easily we give our affections away to things that are not healthy to us, not helpful, and they entrap us. We call it idolatry. And we can call that adultery as well. 
And so as we look at this, he goes on and he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love, and that's the word agape there, of the Father is not in him. It cannot coexist. If we're looking to the world for things that only God was designed to deliver, His love is going to be inaccessible to us. Why? Because we've allowed our hearts to go to another lover. Now, I could take all day and just drill that point home, but if you'll bear with me, let's go on here. Because verse 16, as it starts out, tells us something that we've got to get straight in our minds. For all that is in the world, and he's laying a foundation here, he's saying, don't love the world, for all that is in the world, and it's going to tell us, offers us up nothing, but here are the three things that we're going to be focusing on in our study the next six weeks. The desires, epithemia, of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. I could probably ask a question in here this morning, say, how many of you know what that is? What's he talking about there? We're going to look at that in depth. We want to understand what the desires of the flesh, what the desires of the eyes, and what the pride of life is. Because that's at the root of what it says to us is to love the world. We're looking to those things. Now, the, I memorized this verse a long time ago, and those of you that are anywhere close to my age, and those of you that are older, we've got this serious problem, don't we? It's like, I started out with the Revised Standard Version as a little boy, I moved up to the New American Standard, then went to the New International Version, and today we're at the English Standard Version, okay? I think I memorized it many years ago, in the New American Standard, and it talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Well, one version says lust, and another version says desires. Desires sounds okay to me. Lust doesn't. And that's why I think it's important for us to go back to the Greek here to look at what the word desires mean, which is just, when we talked about our study, we just called it desires. And I need you to look down here at the Greek word there. It says, desire, craving, longing. And then here's the key phrase, desire for what is forbidden. Or the last one is lust. And so there's this problem that we have where we long for things and we lust after them. We desire things that really will never produce life for us. Now, gentlemen... This is where I'm going to ask you to bear with me, if you will. We have a tendency to look at what we desire. And up here, I might say, you know, what I desire is a new car. What I desire is a bigger house or a more conveniently located house or a more reasonably priced house. Or I could list off any number of things that I would tell you that I have a, could desire. What we've got to understand, though, is beneath that is a greater desire that exists. Some people will categorize them, and there's, I don't think there is just a limited number of desires, but I'm going to just share with you what some people would call our basic desires. There's comfort, security, control, approval, affection, 
attention, power, vindication, and a hassle-free life. Now, those are all things that in and of themselves probably aren't that bad. But what Pallison, David Pallison has to say is, the evil in our desire does not lie in what we want, but in that we want it too much. And so if I take a desire for control, well, there's one element of that that maybe is not too wrong, but if I take control and my desire for it becomes something that is insatiable, I've got a problem. If my desire for control has me where I'm arm wrestling with God, I've got a problem. If my willingness to wait on the Lord is all bound up in my watch, and it says, I gave you 60 seconds, now I'm going to take control, I've got a problem with control. I've got a problem there with what I desire. And so it's easy for us to say, gosh, I would desire a good dinner tonight. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are healthy desires for us. But my job and my responsibility, as well as the other two teachers, is to take us beneath that and see if there's some desires that we have allowed to become too much. We desire it too much. And that it prevents us from really being engaged and involved in a deep love relationship with the Holy God, who is the verse there in John 3.16 says to us, He loved us so much that He gave Himself for us. Men, I am convinced, and I sit with people anywhere from 15 to 18 hours a week, and I listen to their stories. One of the beauties of that is I'm continually rehearsing the truth that I speak to them back in my own heart and life. And what I find is it's many times these basic desires have begun to, begun to rule the hearts, and therefore we find out where the problem exists. I had a really interesting situation as we went through our 14 weeks with the men. I learned a lot. Uh, these guys were great teachers to me. Hopefully I taught them something, but I think that if you take, there was 22 men, and I've made the 23rd, all 23 of us were learners. But what I realized was as we talked about this concept of sexual sin, was that I could replace what it was talking about in the book with sexual sin and replace it with any other thing and realize that it was getting in the way of my own heart and life. And I was drawn to a deeper understanding of the gospel as I sought to impart truth and freedom to the guys who were struggling with sexual sin. Now, week after week, we just went through the gospel and began to realize that there are elements of that that I found refreshing for me, but also found very convicting. And so one of the places that I would say, and, and you know, in our society, we have all sorts of things that we say, well, societally, this is really bad, that's not so bad. But in the eyes of a holy God, I want to tell you, they all are an offensive to Him. So what I'm getting ready to share with you all, some of you will actually find humorous. You might even be tempted to dismiss it. I hope you won't. I'm a comfort-aholic. I like comfort. 
And I find that a lot of my decisions in life are based on what's going to bring me comfort. When I look at the desires and I look at how much I long for comfort, I find that sometimes I can make that too important. And when I take that in light of the gospel, and the gospel routinely tells me, hey, you know what? There's going to be hardships. There's going to be sufferings. And I get that up here, but as soon as they come in my life, I'm looking for relief. Now, the story I'm getting ready to tell you on one level is laughable. And that's why I say bear with me, because it does have an emotional side to it as well. Last summer, we did our series on prayer in here. And my responsibility that day was for, to call you all to look at not just the prayer request, but the prayer request underneath it as well. And you'll remember that I used what was a fairly powerful example, which was Clay Smith, who had lost his son Hunter in an accident two years prior, had just gotten word that his granddaughter was being, had been rushed to the hospital with an extremely high fever. The prayer request up here could be, hey, let's pray for Clay's granddaughter. The prayer down here is, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on the Smith family. Surely you won't take another Smith family member. And you all know where I'm going with this. Today, I tell you, I lost one of my best friends from third grade on March the 14th. I don't get it. And so I, I, I said, Lord God, I want to do whatever I can to go through this and experience everything I need to experience in order to truly grieve Clay's loss, to honor his life, to feel it, to allow you, Father God, to do whatever you want to do in my own heart and life. I think I did a pretty good job processing that. Now this is the laughable part, and bear with me. That was until I was driving down Ross Avenue. Now it wasn't Harry Hines. I didn't go into a strip joint. I didn't look for a hooker. I didn't run to pornography. I turned into Sonic. And next thing I know, I've ordered a Sonic Blast with Butterfinger chips in it. Okay? Again, laughable. I did it for one reason. Not because I was hungry. I did it because I was longing for comfort. And somehow I was looking at a Sonic Blast with Butterfinger chips in it to bring me some degree of comfort. Now, fellas, I want you to know, I'm not condemning Sonic. I'm not condemning Sonic Blast, Butterfinger Chips, or anything. I'm telling you in that moment, though, it served an unhealthy purpose for me. That instead of continually running to the God of all comfort, I said, nope, I'm going here. Now, again, Who's going who's gonna to pull me aside and, and, and bust my chops for that? Nobody. Because it seems so innocent. 
Now, if I'd gotten hammered and pulled over and gotten a DUI, that'd be a whole different thing, wouldn't it? If one of my dear brothers had found out that I was over on Harry Hines looking for comfort, that'd be different. But I want you to know, in the eyes of a holy God, what I did there was nothing different than somebody who had run to those other things because I was looking to my own attempts to find comfort. Now, that's just one element of these basic desires that we can walk through and process. That we could find out, wow, I, I run to things that I don't even know that I run to for comfort, for control, for affirmation, for appreciation, for all those things I just rattled off to you. And the question comes, do I really believe God at His Word for who He says He is and that those things that I need most that He will meet? My problem is, you don't do it in the time frame that I want you to do it, so therefore I'm going to take back control. The last part of this passage in Romans 13, 11 tells us, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We're going to learn over the next six weeks, guys, what does it mean for us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Previous to that, it's put off, and here it's put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I don't want to gratify its desires. And I've got to see those for what they are. And part of what I feel like my responsibility is today is to enlighten you to some degree as to how your desires could be running afoul and how it leaves you in your Christian life rather impotent. And to bring us back once again, like at the moment of salvation, where we could thank our God in heaven that He saved us to heaven. But I'm also wanting to realize He saved me from a lot here. And He continues to want to be my life in all that I do. I've written down two quotes here from the book that we used. And this is why I say that it's imperative for us to remember you could put any sin in here. He starts out by saying sexual sin brings desolation. And the guys in my group would attest to that. But I'll tell you, I can attest to many other things that bring desolation, not just sexual sin. I'd love for you to read the whole thing because you see the the absolute devastation that it brings out. But the last sentence says, As Christians, our sins drive us into hiding, and we begin to live wearing a mask. This disconnect between our private life and public facade perpetuates our insecurity. What does the mask look like? What's the, uh, what's the disconnect? We've mastered it, guys. We don't even know we've mastered it. You know, I can stand before you and tell you, hey, I know well how to tell part of my story here, part of my story here, and part of my story here, and think that I've told my whole story, but I've never really told my whole story to one single person. 
so that they really truly know me. I can tell you that it's not uncommon for us to say, hey, <clears throat> if you ask me the right question, I'll, I'll put it up for you. But if you don't ask me the right question, it's not, you're not getting it. That's a mask. And there's many things that we've done that we've learned how to navigate so I can stay hidden. And my call to us is always going to be, as men, as brothers and sisters in Christ, is to call us out of hiding, to call us out of isolation, call us into genuine community, back into a, a, a really fervent, intimate relationship with the Holy God. The second quote is probably where I would like to focus and try to land for us today. I'm going to read this one. It says, It has been said that the cross shows us two truths simultaneously. We see the infinite length to which God needed to go to redeem us. We realize we're far worse than ever imagined. The cross is a bloody mess for a reason, but in the same moment, because the Father was willing to offer up His Son, and Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before Him, Jesus' sacrifice shows that we are more loved, cherished, delighted, and delighted in than we could ever have dared, hope to, hope, dared to hope. Understanding the gospel means holding both of these truths together simultaneously. So here's my story, fellas. If you think about it in this kind of graphic sense, and there's some of you in here, those of you that are members of the SOS Sunday School class have seen me do this demonstration, but I'll tell you guys, it's like this. I am far worse than I could ever have imagined. Far worse. And that's when I had my eyes opened up to see me with not my self-righteous eyes. Oh, I've been a Christian for 50 years now, I've, you know, all these things. I find my self-righteousness is so offensive to a holy God. I'm far worse than I could ever imagine. Now, why in the world would I want to emphasize that? Because if I don't, then the fact that I'm deeply loved really doesn't matter because it's like, so what? I'm not that bad of a guy. But when I emphasize the fact that I'm far worse than I could ever imagine and then come over here and hold this exact, this other truth simultaneously that says, I'm more loved than I could ever hope for. All it does is magnify the cross and what was done for me. And what that does is drop me to my knees in worship and thanksgiving. And it makes me realize that my performance merits nothing. Why? Because I'm far worse than I could ever imagine. And, and it's not, well, but at least I'm not the porn addict. Because I love those guys. They've stolen my heart, I'll tell you that. And where I come back to it, guys, is I could list off all the things that I am. And I'm an adulterer. Not in the marital sense of that, but I give my affections away routinely from a holy God and give them elsewhere. And I think some of you can identify with me on that. And then I go, but I'm more loved than I could ever imagine. We've got to hold those two truths simultaneously because if I only emphasize how, how 
desperately wicked I am, man, that's despair. And yet we're more loved than we could ever imagine. I hope that you can come to grips with that even today. I hope that over the next six weeks that you'll take the time to begin to really understand what that looks like because it's the essence of the gospel. It's what gives us hope. It's what makes us grateful for a Savior. It's what drives me to worship. It's what makes me realize, wow, I am no longer just thankful that He saved me so I could go to heaven. It's something that changes my life here today and continues to change my life. And guys, here's what I would want to tell you. It's what takes the desires, that if we look at the definition over there, that are <clears throat> for what is forbidden and turns them into desires to please and honor and glorify Him. And that's the Christian life. Now at your tables today, I've given you some questions. I, I, I have to be honest, I, I, I don't think I'm a good question writer. I, I read Paul and Chad's questions and I'm like, that's profound. <laughs> Mine simply says, what if anything jumped out at you this morning? But let me tell you guys, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> let me tell you guys, that's a question that I would have asked if I was sitting in a counseling room with you. You don't need to hear more from me. At the round the tables, you don't need to hear somebody regurgitate. What you do need at your tables is to say, can I tell you in all honesty what jumped out at me? I'm shocked sometimes at what people will tell me jumped out at them. And I'll go, that's profound. I had no idea. Some of you in here today are struggling on levels that breaks my heart. And you've been struggling for a long time. Some of you are here today, and I don't even know why I'm here. I'm thankful you are here. And so you've got five questions to ponder around your table today. My hope and prayer is you'll take seriously the one question I left you to ponder when you go home. Is it time to come out of hiding? And if that's where you are today, then I'm telling you, my contact information is there. And I welcome your phone call. And if I can't be the one to walk alongside with you, I'll find someone that can. But men, we want to make this summer, the summer of 2018, a time that really begins to break some of us free from things that have been holding us hostage for a long time. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for each of my brothers here today. And we come as men who want to run our lives. We want to, we want to be in control. We want to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. At least that's me, O oh Father. And I pray now, Lord, around these tables and as we leave today, that you would continue to speak to our hearts. Bring truth. Bring courage, Lord. Please bring courage to the tables this morning, even with men that don't really even know each other. May they feel the commonality of being a brother in Christ sitting at the table. We love you. We thank you for the depths of your love for us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.